Future Sense is a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name, broadcast on Bay FM in Byron Bay, Australia at bayfm.org. Hosted by Nick Jeans and well-known international futurist Steve McDonald, Future Sense provides a fresh, deep analysis of global trends and emergent technologies. How can we identify the layers of growth, personally, socially, and globally? What are the signs missed, the truths being denied? Science, history, politics, psychology, ancient civilizations, alien contact, the new psychedelic revolution, cryptocurrency, and other disruptive and distributed technologies, and much more. This is Future Sense. Did we break the planet? This is the big question. Have we broken the planet, Steve? We're stepping back to look at a bigger issue Mm -hmm. now. And um, this idea that we broke the planet, and not only did we break it, but no one can fix it except us, uh, is is an interesting thing. And it's very much reflective of the the perspective and the value set of the emerging paradigm, this humanistic, network-centric way of being human Mm -hmm. that's uh, emerging out of the, the end of the scientific industrial era. And this perspective is it's shaping how we approach the whole issue of repairing the damage that's been done by the previous paradigm. Uh, and it's also impacting our capacity to bring about change. And so I think it's an important thing to talk about. And um, I, I started studying Claire Graves' work in 2003. And it, wasn't, it was not long after that that I started to sort of see a connection between the emerging we broke the planet movement and the way that human psychology was changing with this new paradigm emerging Uh, and i could see that there was a a bias in there and we we seem to be humans in general seem to be taking on board a whole bunch of guilt and responsibility too much you know to Mm. the point where it was actually going to get in the way of our capacity to fix the things that we were saying Mm. were wrong Uh, So let's unpack that a bit and uh, let's just have a look at what might be impacting those things. And uh, to be clear, you know, we're not saying that there isn't a problem. There certainly are problems. There are very significant problems that have been, uh, some of them have been created by the previous way of being human, which was very resource intensive and not mindful of uh, where we put the trash. Um, And... Some of the issues, of course, are also associated with uh, natural cycles of the planet and how the planet's changing long term. Uh, and there are certainly problems that we need to fix. Mm. Uh, so one of the one of the clear trends is this anthropocentric thinking, mm. which is also called, I found out, homocentrism. Is another, homocentrism. Another that's another right. Way of saying that. Yes. Uh, and it's all about us. That's basically what it comes back to: is is everything's <laughs> about us mm. and. It's useful, I think, to look back to the previous paradigm. Uh, In fact, let's go back two paradigms. Let's go back to the the agricultural era and just have a look at a bias that was at play. And, uh, you know, you could even use another word, maybe just a particular perspective on things rather than a bias. Um, And that was the idea that the Earth was the centre of the universe and everything rotated around the Earth. The sun rotated around the Earth, all of the stars rotated around the Earth and and basically, you know, we were at the centre of everything. And that was busted during the transition between the agricultural era and the scientific industrial era by the science, which said, well, actually, no. Thanks, Um, Mr. Galileo and and, and friends. We know it kind of looks like that, but when you really delve into it and 
collect some evidence, you know, the, the story is different. Mm. And so we've got a, a similar kind of thing happening here where we've put humans at the centre of this cause and effect process of change. And it's no more correct than the Earth-centric view was back in the agricultural era. Uh, and uh, it's got its uses, and these things always have their uses. And they, you know, everything is part of a, a natural evolutionary flow. And so it, it's not that any of it is wrong. Yeah, it's not either or. It's not, it's not either or. It's not good or bad. But it's interesting and it's informative to be able to see these dynamics because we can also see some of the impact that they're having which might not be constructive from our point of view so this anthropocentric thing is one of those things it's like it's like the earth-centric thing except it's it's the the one of of our time um and i i guess uh because yeah. also, if I just interrupt briefly, there, yeah. I'm just thinking, um, I'm thinking religion here in terms of the that that uh, that layer, the agricultural uh, yeah. e- era, that that period, which is also identified with the rise of the great religions, and that uh, as we've been talking about, yeah. but that notion of uh, from the Bible of go go forth and multiply, you know, and that whole idea I think is then supported very strongly by that uh, that uh, human centric, that anthropocentric view of the world that we can use everything because we're given that to use, and yeah. we're and we yeah. are the center. Yeah, we're we're God's uh, God's given creature with, uh, Children, with yeah. conscious or something. Yeah, yeah, true. Uh, so one of the issues that arises when we take this human centric anthropocentric viewpoint is um, it basically means that we're responsible for everything, yeah. and whatever happens is is our fault. And uh, not only that, but the onus falls upon us to fix everything that we see is not right. And in that everything basically gets chucked in the same basket so natural dynamics which are part of long-term changes on the planet how the channel how the planet operates you know it's modus operandi um, get lumped in our basket and we become responsible for things you know that that have been happening for long long times even before we were here um, and one of those things is of course mass extinctions where we look like we're I guess we're not 100 percent sure but we look like we're moving into the sixth mass extinction mm-hmm. extinction now and the other five happened before we were here um, but this one's our fault. Mm. Um, and this is not a black and white argument that we're putting forward. So we're not saying that we're not responsible at all. Well, we've clearly contributed vastly to changes on the planet in the last couple of hundred years. Of course However, we yes. that we, we have a, a great ability to not look at the much longer cycles and the natural cycles and some of the things we simply do not understand despite our incredibly advanced sciences. <laughs> relative to where we once were, yeah. uh, we still don't really understand some of these greater, bigger forces that uh, that we are enveloped in as a, as a planet. Yeah, exactly. So we're kind of aiming for the middle ground here. We're not totally responsible, but we're not innocent either. Yeah. We, we have had an impact. We've done things. We've mm. made a terrible, terrible mess. You know, the oceans are full of plastic. Yeah. And the, the, air, the air's been polluted. There's lots and lots of things that need fixing that were our... The water's stuffed. The soil is stuffed. The forest's somewhat stuffed etc etc there's these lots, are real things there's lots of work to be done lots of work to be done the the key issue is that we can do that work more effectively if we have an accurate description of our impact and we understand what role nature's natural cycles are playing we will be much more effective in, in addressing these issues uh, yeah. and it, it's it kind of comes back to you know the, the river analogy and trying to cross a river as being representative of a change process and if you understand how the river flows then it's easier to get across without getting caught in unexpected currents or whirlpools and those sorts of things 
Or just to extend that, I mean, you you stand across a, a raging river to get to the other side, and you know your first thought is, I've got to get across there quickly. So the first, the easiest way is just to go straight across really quickly, but that's not the way to get across the river. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. No, not a raging river anyway. Yeah. So where's this idea of us being guilty coming from? Mm. And the answer is, it's part of this regressive search, regressive value search, which is characteristic of a paradigm shift, when our everyday values that we've been living by in this case for a few hundred years all of a sudden don't seem to solve our problems effectively then the first human response is to look backwards to older value sets and think about a time when things were good and then maybe try those out and see if they work and so we're we're slipping back now to this agricultural era where um, the the most dominant emotion was guilt and if you think about, uh, for example, the, the religious environment back during the agricultural era, and we're talking about you know, the pre the scientific industrial revolutions back through the Middle Ages, etc., guilt played an enormous role in religious yeah. uh, life. You know, there, were, there was uh, and still is a set of rules that have been handed down by God which must be followed in order to, to live a, a dutiful, righteous life. And if you break those rules, then you are guilty and you are a sinner and uh, and action you will be damned will be taken. <laughs> <laughs> or as, as my, my uh, Latin teacher my Welsh rugby uh, teaching Latin teacher uh, used to say you slip down the slippery slide into the eternal bonfire that was his favourite expression oh goodness me yeah sounded quite appealing to me yeah yeah it's quite, quite a colourful description <laughs> And so the, the idea of guilty, uh, guilt rather is associated with having committed an offence or breaking a law. And so the implication here is um, you know, we're, we're searching back to older values, where, which is taking us back to this black and white perspective on life where there's a fairly clear set of rules that we have to follow and, and it's as simple as that. And if you don't follow them, then you, you're a sinner or you're guilty. And so that kind of thinking is being applied to mm. the present awareness of uh, you know, planetary life conditions and the problems that need to be solved there. And one of the disadvantages of that is it's dumbing things down and it, it covers up, it obscures all of the subtle relationships between uh, natural systems and human influence also. Yeah, I mean, that, that immediately challenges me because God bless all the humans on this planet, but so many people simply don't seem to be able to uh, uptake a, a bigger, more complex vision or version of things too often at this point in time. There's this kind of, as you said, a dumbing down, and we've, we, I think, don't refer too much to the election anymore. We've done that, but you know, we can see that as we, we mentioned, Morrison appealing to that, simplifying everything, make it really simple. Yes, and that's what people resonated with. Yeah, that's what the majority still resonate with. So we, we, we've got a bit of a way to go to wake people up from we, that. We I do, and, and again, this is a, it's a natural evolutionary dynamic. Uh, and the advantage of, of learning about and understanding these dynamics is that you can, you can shortcut the change process and you can make it smoother and easier if you understand. Uh, it, it's going back to the river analogy. Yes. If you don't understand the river's dynamics, mm -hmm. then it's, it's chance, right? You jump in and you take what you get. And, and that's where most of the people in the world are right now in terms of understanding paradigm shifts, you know, be they personal transformation processes or large-scale social paradigm shifts. Yeah. With some education and understanding of the dynamics of the, of the river, using that analogy, and understanding where the river flows, where the eddies are that you can get caught up in and where the best places are to cross the river, you can get across the river more easily and, and with less harm 
you know, yeah. less suffering. Yeah. And, and that's the aim of, you know, digging deeper into these dynamics and, yeah. and sort of um, yes. communicating them. So um, what we're talking about here in particular in relation to guilt is moral development. And in the spiral of human development, the each each paradigm is alternatively focused on living life with an individual focus and changing the world to suit yourself or alternatively it swaps between that and living life with a communal focus and changing yourself Mm. to fit with the requirements of life Mm. and your community and it's within the communal systems which and you could also you can call the individual systems masculine themed and you can call the communal systems feminine themed Mm. that, that, that fits so it's within the feminine themed communal systems that moral development occurs and when you live in community there has to be an agreement of standards and ways to live and basically that's what morals are morals are a tool for communal living to help everybody get on the same page in terms of understanding what it's okay to do and what you don't do within this community uh, of any size and so it's only within those communal systems that moral development occurs and when we break out into the individual systems like the modern scientific industrial that we've just been through we tend to reject mm. those standardized you know ways of living and we want to basically tread our own path we want to break the rules actually and we want to see how we can live differently by being an individual yeah well there's no absolute truth in that scenario and and, and it's almost like that's a that's a play in itself that you well, you can't tell me that's the absolute truth because over here my experience is this and i'm going to use this my version of the truth my distortion even of the truth in order to achieve what i want to achieve and value systems sort of break down their morals ethics kind of sort of fall apart and we're certainly seeing that throughout our particularly the Western societies and most um, third world countries that are becoming more, you know, more capitalized as we go forward. That's right. And as we're moving now back into a communal way of being human, you know, one of the biggest criticisms of the previous system is that it breaks the rules. You yeah. know, it's, it's unethical. Yeah. It doesn't fit with the, the accepted moral values. Yeah, yeah? that's right. Uh, and so if we look at the historic unfolding of those communal systems, we've had the traditional tribal, which uh, which had its customs and that that was they were its version of morals in the agricultural era there were the rules given by some higher authority which was often god a list of ways to live a list of rules to follow and in this emerging system we'll see a new kind of moral development which understanding the the themes of this system ought to be something that's developed amongst peers Mm. so it ought to be that we consult with our peer group our community our village Mm and we work out amongst ourselves what the morals are, what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. And I guess we could uh, we could say that this has been, in some senses, the expression of, for example, again, generalising here, we are, just as Steve said several times, we are generalising, so taking that into account, but the whole hippie movement, uh, the New Age movement, uh, to me, is examples of an early attempt to try and create a sort of new, yes. levelled-out set of value systems and ethics and morals that aren't dominated by some some god with a beard or some other shit like that yeah exactly Mm. and whereas if we look back to the the agricultural times we could say okay the dominant emotion there was guilt it was like you know do as god says or you'll be guilty and and reap the consequences but with this emerging paradigm if we take the 60s as an example of a flare-up then it looks like love is the dominant emotion here it's like live you know live according to love yes yeah. So that, that's kind of interesting. And bearing in mind that we're in transition now, so this new paradigm hasn't flowered yet. 
we've seen early versions of it in pockets, but it hasn't flowered yet. It hasn't created set, a set of life conditions that are fully supportive of its way of living. And it's only then what we'll, that we'll see its full potential. Uh, so we've, we're kind of in a no man's land where we haven't quite got the new morals da- nailed down. We haven't figured out what they are exactly. That's, it's kind of an experiment in progress. We've got no morals from the scientific industrial era. We've just got hard evidence. Uh, and so the only reference point we've got is to go back to the this sort of agricultural era and these older religious values. And so typically this is what happens when we go through change is we flick back, and this is the regressive search, we flick back, we look at, okay, how do we do this last time? You know, it's like going to back going back to an old job, you know, something you don't do very often, like changing your car on the, on the tyre, for example. That's changing your car on the tyre. Change, I'll flip that around. Changing a, a tyre on your car, if you get a flat tyre, it's like, oh, God, last time I did this was five years ago. How did I do that again? You know, and you think back to the last way you did it. And that that's what happens with moral development. We're thinking back, how do we do this last time we were living as community in that last paradigm, you know, Oh, yeah, I think it was something to do with this and that. Let's dig out the notes and, okay, so it's something to do with guilt and uh, and we'll try that out and see if that works. And eventually we get to the point where we realise, okay, these older values, they're useful because they, you know, they're, they're a guideline, but we really need to work out mm. current ones. Mm-hmm. And so that's a work in progress. So we're in a kind of a no man's land, you know, a bit of a desert in terms of morality right now where people are sort of clutching back to the older values, they're... They're searching out the experimental new values. You know, what happened in the 1960s? Uh, what happens in that weird place up in the Northern Rivers there where there's a big pocket of, you know, new paradigm folks? Hello out there. And, uh, and how do we live? You know, what is what is the right way to live? Yeah. Uh, just quickly too, because as we've been saying with this notion of do we break the planet uh, in this emerging paradigm, of course, there is a lot of guilt and there is a lot of shame for exactly what we're saying this anthropocentric vision or view of uh, how we've in- influenced uh, things on the planet here so we have sort of regressed to those uh, those earlier um, responses anyway to guilt and shame and that would seem to be you know, it's obviously part of the slingshot effect but and I like the idea that you said there's a, this notion of love because there is that tone to this now well there is very and clearly that's different you know that, yeah that's the difference isn't it that's yeah. a good way to articulate it i think yeah mm. and and with that comes uh, an absence of conflict and you know a general peaceful approach which i think is wonderful and, and that was very very clear it was encouraging for me to see how that extinction rebellion thing played out in london because it mm. really demonstrated some of the mm. the more developed aspects of the emerging paradigm mm. and that they're mature enough you know in that community to be played out on a large scale and to be effective in bringing change mm. which is very interesting even just the image of the very i think the very first demonstration of just a handful 30 or 40 uh, extinction rebellion activists standing way apart in the main street in Trafalgar Square, wherever they were, and just that that idea that the, the togetherness was there, but they were sort of individuals that have come up with yes. a smarter way yeah. of, of being together without having to be a, a whole horde of intensely you know, banging in the bang about the barricades. It's That's just a right. subtle difference there. Yeah, and you just you just hit on the nested nature of these value systems, you know. So you've got the the old agricultural values, then you've got the the smarter, strategic, uh, individually oriented, modern scientific values layered on top which gives you that smartness and strategy that you just pointed out yeah. and then the new communal values developing over the top of that yeah, yeah. Um, someone's written in uh, ash uh, says guilt the mafia mafia of the mind yeah true enough yeah, exactly and someone else just quickly don't forget the earth is flat 
Just ask via time travel the aristocratic, arsonistic, pompous, camel, turd-sucking <laughs> nobles of the 16th century who put to the torch intelligent minds that had scientific insight and vision. Thanks, Shane. Yeah, well, that's certainly true. Yeah. That happened then. So um, let, just moving on from that a little, um, it's interesting to look at the actual problems which are evident right now, the problems where we need to fix, which are becoming very, very obvious as people pop into this new way of seeing the world, which is the emerging paradigm, and look back at the old paradigm, the scientific industrial and its impact on the planet, we see things like an imbalance of wealth in society. We see problems with our healthcare systems, uh, which are, are generally yeah. disconnected rather than connected. We see social justice issues. We see depletion of natural resources. We see overfishing. Uh, which, as an example of that, we see pollution of the ocean, you know, vast islands of plastic. We see polluted air, yeah. um, contaminated food that's got pesticides and stuff in it that we're eating, uh, broken political systems, which don't seem to be, you know, giving us leaders that can solve our, our most obvious problems yeah. and, and respond to how society is changing. And these are all very real things which are very measurable and present. Uh, and I put those problems in one category. And there's another category of problems which is the expected, anticipated, or imagined problems. Okay. Right. Yeah. And these are problems Our that... projections. Yeah, these are problems that aren't here yet, mm. but may arrive mm. uh, sometime soon. And these are things like the Earth becoming uninhabitable due to climate change, well, that, for, that, for that example. Trump, that trumps everything else, so you can it, just stop it. Does. It does. And this is the interesting dynamic that's at play at the moment. Yeah, and uh, associated with that is, is the possibility of human extinction. You know, are, are we exempt from this sixth mass extinction? Doubtfully. I don't think so. Don't think so. I think we're part of that same system. Yeah. And so it's quite right that people should be concerned and even fearful about these things. And, and it's this that's contributing to the evolutionary tension, which is actually carrying us forward through the change process. Did you hear that, folks? So as much as you may feel fear and trepidation, especially if you happen to be left-leaning and you've lost the election and you're feeling this, that, and the other, and you desperately go, am I going to get my affordable housing? Is the ABC going to be defunded, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Consider the possibility that all of that is part of a positive change somehow. You're resonating right now on Future Sense with Steve McDonald and Nick Jeans. Uh, whatever it takes from Imagine Dragons, Imagining Dragons, kind of appropriate. And also the song itself, I don't know if you know the song, it's a bit, it's a bit poppy, uh, but some great lyrics in there and pretty relevant to what we've been talking about this morning here on Future Sense. Very good, Nick. And we're talking about this idea that humans broke the world and only we can fix it. Mm. And uh, looking at some of the emotions associated with that perspective, which is part of the emerging paradigm, and in Claire Graves' research, he uncovered fractal patterns in human development, and these same patterns play out for us as individuals and also for groups, societies, countries, the whole of our species mm. uh, at a very large scale. So it's quite fascinating. And so by inquiring into our own experience, we can sometimes unlock keys to understanding large-scale change also. And one of the things that Graves researched partially in his process of trying to verif verify his model, his spiraling model of human development, he looked outside of his own profession, um, which was probably pretty radical for the time, you know, considering that he was doing this research from the, I guess, uh, early 1950s onwards yeah. through to the 1980s. And he found that 
guilt was the dominant emotion associated with the fourth layer of consciousness, which was dominant during the agricultural era. And really that was the end of his uh, certainty around the association of emotions with layers of consciousness. However, he speculated that the dominant emotion associated with the modern scientific paradigm was manic excitement. And that kind of fits. It kind of fits, yeah. And what's also interesting is... He's saying that from the 1950s when it wasn't particularly <laughs> manically exciting even after the Second World War. Well, so I mean, it was, it was exciting in a 50s kind of a way. Oh, I guess so. Yeah. Well, he wasn't living in Adelaide, though. No, that's true. <laughs> As I was. <laughs> the other thing that's interesting to look at is he did a little bit of research into the use of drugs. And again, oh. it was partial. It wasn't complete or, you know, he didn't mm. come to any great conclusions, mm. but... He associated the fourth layer of consciousness where the dominant emotion is guilt with the use of alcohol, which is like a, a numbing, dumbing down drug, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, the, and the idea is life during that layer four agricultural era was, was a very long-term outlook and you had to work really, really hard for a long time and then you might get rewarded at the end of it if you did your duty with, well with enough. With a beer. Yeah, you might get rewarded. It's, it's, and from a religious point of view, you know, you live your life according to God's rules. And depending on how well you, you do that and how faithfully you do it, with you know, faith being more important, really, um, at the end, you might go to heaven. But if you made a slip up somewhere along the line, you might not go to heaven. So there was, you know, it wasn't a particularly sort of optimistic outlook generally. And so the use of a drug that kind of takes you away from, from that long-term well, drudge, you know, like alcohol, where you can kind yeah. of just dumb things down, numb your feelings and, and you know, forget about the guilt for a while. Um, you can see how that fits. Yeah. And then if we look at the modern scientific industrial era and the, the corporate world, you know, we think about the, the corporate drugs, mm. things that are generally associated with manic excitement. Again, like, we're generalizing, but yes. We're, we're generalizing. Let's but, look at but, cocaine, you know, for co example. Cocaine, mm. exa exactly. But um, also, when alcohol continues to be, and Australia is the uh, there's a statistic the other day, I can't speak today, there's a statistic the other day that said that Australia actually has the biggest, the, mo the most problems with alcohol, the most uh, ref referrals to, uh, to medical help or hospitals from alcohol poisoning or, or yeah. problems in any other country in the world. Yeah. So we still got alcohol here, and I, I would suggest that there's a bit of manic excitement there because it's like we, you drink for the manic excitement and then you're dumbed down after that. It's well, sort of secondary. Uh, I mean, look at the whole Red Bull thing, you know, putting <laughs> yes. stimulants in your alcoholic drinks, yeah? Exactly. Um, but yeah. also remember that these value systems are nested inside each other, so the old values don't go away. They're always there and accessible. So the alcohol hasn't gone away. It's still there, but we've tweaked it a bit yeah. and we've added, you know, more other drugs that are mm. stimulants, that, you know, that fit with the manic excitement thing. And and this was very tentative information in Graves' work. It was it wasn't a you know an absolute conclusion. He was just basically speculating yeah. here, and he speculated in relation to layer six, which is the emerging paradigm globally, that depression seemed to be the the dominant emotion. And I, what I my personal interpretation of that is that he was researching at a time when there wasn't a lot of. Uh, emerging paradigm like layer six values being expressed by people and so he was probably seeing early stage and it makes sense that when you when people suddenly wake up to this next layer of consciousness and they look through their new eyes at the scientific industrial era and they see all the damage that's been done and they see the polluted earth and the natural system suffering then that's depressing yeah 
particularly in the early stage where they haven't got a big network of people who share their values, mm. who, can, who they can work together mm. with to solve the problems. Mm. So the obvious kind of expression, emotional expression of that is depression, I think. Mm. But I expect, and this is just my speculation, that as the emerging paradigm grows and becomes more strong and it builds life conditions around itself, which are supportive, that love will become mm. the dominant emotion of this particular era. And as you're speaking, I'm feeling also that there's a, a transition from pure depression, which is usually an isolated thing, as you're saying, because you're alone in that beginning stage. Then there's a sort of shared depression that it comes as you, as you emerge as you emerge into a community of one sort or the other, which kind of transfers the depression, I'd say, to a kind of grief, a, a, a merging together of depression into a communal grief, perhaps. Yes. Which is actually much more uh, close to a sort of genuine feeling rather than emotional reactionary response yes and that probably leads into into the expression of love more perhaps yeah yeah absolutely and Mm. you know at a personal level often these things play out as a result of past trauma and we can look back at the history of the world through particularly through this scientific industrial era and the warfare that has taken place and all of the trauma that's been accumulated Uh, both personally and through, Mm. you know, uh, DNA transfer. Mm -hmm. uh, Epigenetics. That that needs to be expressed as grief. So so I think think you're on the money there. And it's interesting that we just had a, a grief event. Yes, Stephen uh, Jenkinson here, here, uh, up a here a couple of weekends ago. Yes. Yeah, yeah, where we had a, a visiting death walker from the USA mm-hmm. and there was a, a public gathering, mm-hmm. like a vigil, which was just oriented around mm-hmm. grieving. Mm-hmm. So that that's very interesting to see that playing out. Mm-hmm. And also, you can so you can transfer this personal experience across to the, the widespread social attitude at the moment towards these problems that we see, which were partially created by the, the scientific industrial paradigm and partially are anticipated or imagined problems that could unfold yeah. if, if we don't act quickly enough. Mm. And you can see how there's a general feeling of depression around that. People are talking about extinction, human extinction. Mm. There's the Extinction Rebellion mm. uh, that's cropped up. So this kind of fits. Mm. It kind of it's very interesting. Uh, the other Two weeks ago on my Friday show, I had a couple of young women in here, local young women, um, Carla and um, Sophie, who were talking about echo-anxiety amongst the, the teenagers and they have a there's a house just up the corner here called Future Dreamers where they have uh, programs for for young young girls usually but also boys sometimes focused on this but this particular theme and I saw her yesterday actually bumped into her and she said oh we had so many people there we have babies and kids and we, we some guys as well looking at for young people this uh, this impact of anxiety of grief of depression regarding particularly uh, extinction the extinction six extinction potential and and, uh, and echo side generally speaking yeah and one of the challenges that we're facing at this early stage of the paradigm shift is that the life conditions that would ideally support this new way of being human aren't really in place yet we've got our Mm. social media but it's it's based in technology that was created by the previous individualistic paradigm so it's it's disconnecting even though it's connected you know you're connected electronically you're disconnected personally so many paradoxes which is getting us ready to accept paradoxes in the future more readily yeah Mm. um yeah got a few texts here interesting bits and pieces yeah, do you want to... Uh, well, just, yeah, well, I like this one, the first one for, uh, for a little while ago, 10 minutes ago. Surely until each individual acknowledges the extraordinary miracle of being alive, there cannot be a collective respect. That sounds like a reasonable comment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
and someone else says there's an interesting talk on TED from April by Carolyn Catwallader of The Observer, uh, re-Facebook and Cambridge Analytica and their effect on Brexit. Does this explain Morrison's miracle? Uh, we talked a little bit about that today. Um, yeah, it's possible. It's possible. And lastly, a crazy one here. We'll come, maybe coming back to that. Thanks for Shane. Shane wriggling and giggling on the, on the text here. Yeah. So let's have a talk now about how this uh, this dynamic, these emotional dynamics, and the particular perspective on on what seems to be wrong, is impacting uh, us generally, and also our capacity to practically address the issues. Mm. And and one way that's unfolding is that the the emerging paradigms tendency to value and focus on the subjective experience and and the relative the relativism this uh, connection with other people and absorbing and sharing perspectives amongst a network of people uh, has had a huge impact on our science for example and our our science around these issues that we see and have identified quite um, accurately as problems that need to be addressed the science is being muddied and obscured because uh, people are focusing on the the subjective connection and people's subjective experiences and also they're mixing the actual problems which exist today with the expected or imagined problems. And as you pointed out before, the expected or imagined problems kind of trump the existing problems because it's like extinction is is a much bigger issue than just a polluted ocean, right? Um, however, it's almost like the stakes have got higher in the last of even just the last few years with regards very, very to all quickly, of this. Very, yeah, very, very quickly, very quickly, very really quickly, it's ramped up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, so, what's happening is that we're getting this muddy mix of actual problems and imagined problems, and feeling some emotional overwhelm, um, perhaps getting thrust into a state of depression as a result, and experiencing the hopelessness that can come with that and and that's a very reasonable Mm. uh, experience at this time where we don't we haven't got the new paradigm um, built enough you know for it to be uh, thrown into action Mm. suddenly to to resolve some of these issues we're still facing the dominance of the old paradigm Mm. which hasn't gone under yet uh, and it's difficult to predict how long that's going to take i mean looking at the, uh, in my futurist work, looking at the the cycles that we're in at the moment, things like solar cycles and, and those sorts of things, economic cycles, it looks to me, if I had to guess when this global paradigm is going to flip from being dominated by the scientific industrial to dominated by this emerging humanistic paradigm, it looks like it might flip around about 2032. Yeah. That's a rough guess, yeah. a very, very rough guess. So if if that's even roughly accurate, we're still more than a decade away. And that's a lot of time, in this, lot of time. in this modern era where there is so much in a given moment going and, on. And it's a lot of time for that evolutionary tension to build. Mm-hmm. And these things are never clear cut. So what we'll see is we'll see pockets. There are already pockets, communities around the world where the dominant paradigm within the bubble, the local bubble, is the new paradigm. You know, And, and, and to some extent, we live in one of those here in Byron Bay. Yep. Um, and what we'll see, I expect, is kind of like when the water boils in a jug. So if you if you have a glass jug where you can see through the walls, and I, there's a few of them in the shops these days, then <laughs> if you watch it boil, you can see that it doesn't just go from not boiling to boiling. You get one little bubble that forms, and then another little bubble, and another bubble, and another bubble. And at some point, the network of bubbles goes through a sudden transition, and it 
the whole liquid breaks into boiling. Yeah. And that's how this change will unfold. We'll get bubbles here, bubbles there, bubbles everywhere. And there'll be probably a number of tipping points where various parts of the planet flip into boiling and you'll see the old paradigm slip under and the new paradigm mm. become dominant. Yeah, it's similar. I've mentioned before Barbara Marks Hubbard, uh, the, uh, the the futurist and uh, New Age doyen who just passed away recently, uh, recently did a, a piece for Finthorn Community where she was articulating how the, the current paradigm is this sort of blob, messy, very complex thing down here. And, and out of that are popping these new expressions everywhere, which of course they are. And that instead of trying to uh, contest and repress and attack the, the dominant paradigm down here and try and manage that, it's the idea that she was espousing was kind of what you're saying in a different way was to actually help to connect and uh, the, yes. uh, the the out outlying and often outrageous and unusual ideas that are popping up everywhere else so that eventually those connections occur yeah. and underneath the dominant paradigm, paradigm just sort of falls away as part of the sort of compost embedded in and included in the future system as it's emerging. Yes, mm. yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think that's a a very sensible way mm. of you uh, seeing this unfolding is why all these bubbles connecting with each other and yep. forming bigger bubbles and, yes. and the bubble spread. Yeah. Um, as I've been saying, though, the one of the big impacts uh, that the emerging paradigm is having on our science is it's it's muddying the the clarity that we had in the scientific industrial era where science was based on hard hard evidence. Mm. And if you came up with a if you wrote a scientific paper, it was peer reviewed and it was judged on its capacity to be replicated you know whatever your theory was you you, you described a theory of how something happened then if somebody read your paper and then could replicate your study yep. your, your experiment then that was seen to prove its worth yes and we've that's one of the things that we've lost in the muddying of the waters through this uh, subjective focus in the communal uh, communication process that's going on around all of these problems within the new paradigm and so and the search i guess for a, for, a, for a new as we talked about before a new moral system a new value system because that also compounds that thing that you can get away with um, well you can get away with murder then in terms of anything really that's supposedly claiming to be truth or real i i know and, yeah. and this is part of the dynamic of the fake news problem yeah. is people can put news out there and because we've kind of lost our anchor points in terms of knowing what's right and what's not right and and part of that is just because the pure volume of communication that's going on is overwhelming and we yeah. haven't got time to sort through it all uh, and uh, what what you know the outcome for that is that we are more easily fooled because we just don't we can't reach for and grab hold of the solid evidence to, to show that something's right or wrong. It's been much more difficult. To yeah, do. and I think in that scenario where we are more easily fooled, it's also therefore easier to align yourself to some ideas which might be actually a bit too far some other way, some yes. a bit crazy here, crazy there, and um, that explains everything, some sort of outlandish conspiracy thing. And I'm not saying that all conspiracy theories are wrong because clearly some of them are true. Yeah. Uh, but there is that element, isn't there, when, when yeah. you don't know what the truth is, That's you'll right. kind of yeah. grasp so you at can, anything. Yeah, you get like a runaway effect. Yeah. And and this is absolutely happening in the, the climate change debate. And I've got an example here uh, from a BBC News report, which was published 2007. in 2007. Yeah. Mm. And it's talking about uh, the ice melting in the poles and particularly the Arctic. And uh, the headline is Arctic summer's ice free by 2013. And that was an underestimation in the in the article. They say that's right. Like yeah, we, we could be. Um, we it could, could, be could could happen more sooner optimistic than than, uh, than we should be. Yeah, it could happen sooner than mm. that. 
and and clearly this didn't happen. And if we look at the using the climate issue as an example, if we look at the predictions that have been made over the years by all of the sort of key public figures that have stood up and said, this is a big problem, we have to fix it, you know, the, the ice is going to disappear by this time, your children won't know what snow is and those sorts of things. Consistently they've been wrong. Consistently their predictions have, have been wrong. However, uh, the, the fear associated with this category of uh, imagined, anticipated problems because of the potential, potentially severe outcome of you know, human extinction, as an example, or the Earth becoming uninhabitable for all life, the fear driving that has swamped the fact that there's actually very little practical evidence and, and all there's actually a solid record of incorrect predictions being made. Mm. And uh, even to the point where the, um, the IPCC, the United Nations uh, Panel on... International Panel on Climate, climate Change. change mm. um, has actually, in a number of their reports, said that they've stopped looking at evidence of natural climate change now because human-induced climate change is more important. And these are huge risks that are emerging in terms of social systems and the way, you know, the way that we prepare for the future and the way that we avoid being radically surprised. These are huge risks that are emerging uh, in, in our social systems that we really need to, um, to be aware of and take care of. And going back to the old uh, you know, analogy of trying to cross the river and not understanding where the currents are going in the river, you know, if we come up with a community theory of where these currents are going in the river, we haven't actually tested it. And in fact, that community theory that we've come up with every time somebody's tried to test it, it hasn't actually been an accurate prediction. Uh, you know, if, if we put all our eggs in that basket and then we all jump in the river, then we're all going to be horribly surprised when we hit you know, the reality of where those currents are and where they're taking us. Mm. So this this is a major, major risk, and it's really something that we should be talking about. And we're not pretending that we have the answers here. We're not mm. pretending that we know what the climate's going to do. No, we don't. We're just pointing out the fact that there are massive blind spots emerging in our large-scale mm. processes that we really need to, to be aware of. For all of you out there, strangers in a strange land, you're grokking future sense here on Bay FM. 10.48 here on Bay FM. Last few minutes of Future Sense for this week. And that was a track called Courage from Clay Finnesand. I like, I like, quite like that. And uh, courage is perhaps a good uh, position to adopt right now against all of this that we've been talking about today. And if you happen to be disappointed by the federal election result, perhaps that's what we need, a bit of courage and a reassessment of the, of the timing and the time that we're going to take to move forward from here. Because we are going to move forward. Change is happening anyway. Certainly is. So we might just make a few conclusions to uh, to wind this up. And one other interesting thing in the process of researching some of this material uh, within Claire Graves's work, I found uh, some bits and pieces of uh, biochemistry mm. relationship or biochemical relationships between some of these emotions being expressed, the particular worldviews and perspectives, and how the body chemistry is changing, uh, which is really interesting. And it, it's not something that Graves. Um, made a complete study of it was part of his verification process of reaching out to other scientists and looking at, for bits of information that supported his model his understanding of human change and of course it was uh, we we're talking about 60 also years ago uh, 50 60 years ago this study so his uh, understanding of that time and anybody's understanding of the sort of neuropsychology and physiology was uh, 
fairly minimal compared to where we are now. Pretty sparse, yeah. Pretty it's a very interesting area, though, and something mm. that I'm interested in trying to pursue Absolutely. a bit further to to fill that picture out. So some conclusions that we can draw from uh, what we've done during this show, is, which is uh, look at how human values are changing, how this regressive search to older values is impacting the, the dynamic at the moment, mm. and how we can pe- perhaps be a little bit wiser and more aware of the change dynamics themselves and inform ourselves in such a way that we can surf the the waves of change rather than getting sort of sucked underneath with the currents. Um, One of the things I guess that we conclude is that uh, everything's not okay and you know this is you know a very big theme at the moment is that the world's broken and uh, only we can fix it. So it's it's absolutely right to say that everything's not okay we have damaged uh, the, the planet in terms of making a big mess and damaging natural systems we've damaged ourselves by ingesting you know yep. all the chemicals we put in our food and all this yep. kind of stuff there are things that need to be fixed mm. however to to say that we've broken the planet i think is an extreme and it's a a symptom of this anthropocentric bias that we have in the same way that people back in the middle ages thought that the earth was the center of the universe we're here thinking that human action is at the center of all change on the planet and and that is simply a bias and it's it's inaccurate it's a partial truth partial truth and and so i think we can moderate that approach by just understanding sure there are things that we've been done that we that or that we have done that we need to fix but there are also natural cycles at play here which we really don't understand understand very well and we need to pursue the science of understanding those natural cycles and working with them i think it this all of this speaks to the need to put new social systems in place so that we can bring about the changes more effectively and we're seeing a general trend at the moment away from private sector dominance which has been the the central part or the central dynamic within the modern scientific industrial era back to public sector dominance during the emerging era and that's going to play out differently because in the previous communal paradigm public sector dominance was quite rigid and structured in this emerging paradigm, it's going to be quite decentralised and very flexible. Um, so it, it'll show up differently, yeah. but we're moving away from the private sector dominance yes. thing. And I think that from a, a government point of view, the decentralisation is going to change our system of governments quite radically. Yes. We're going to end up with something very different. So focus, focus still, folks, on the local, local everything. That's really important at this time. Yes. And that network that, that you can, those networks that you can evolve and develop. Yeah, absolutely. And things we can do, I think, number one is to stay super curious and open-minded. You know, don't get carried away by the hype. And just because everybody else is thinking something, don't assume that it's actually right and there's evidence to support it because it's just not the case at this time in history. Uh, Assume that we don't have the science worked out. You you know, anyone who says that the science is in isn't a scientist. (laughs) Science is a a never-ending feast and we're always gathering new information and always analysing it and always modifying our understanding, upgrading our understanding of how things work. And that's become really important at the moment because we are facing some very critical issues over the next couple of decades that we really need to figure out, A, how to address effectively and then B, how to motivate people to to fix them. Um, it all comes back because this is a fractal model it all comes back to knowing yourself also pay attention to your own nature your own biases your own compulsive behaviors which sometimes lead to your downfall because those things play out at scale and if you can understand the dynamics within yourself then you're also getting the key to understanding large-scale social dynamics also 
And that can be an intu- uh, development of intuition too, just to butt in there, isn't it? Because that's part of this new evolving paradigm is this beginning to access and understand the difference between, say, intuition and, and pure emotional response or something. No buts about it, Nick. No buts. That's true. <laughs> Other things we can do is to, is to take meaningful action. And right now the, the great uh, attraction is to talk, talk, talk and gather together with other people to talk and talk about what needs to be done and tell other people what needs to be done. But we really need to take action. That, that is really an important thing at the moment. Take action yeah. to clean up our act, clean up the planet, make the world a more peaceful place build better and fairer social systems, economic systems, political systems, justice systems, healthcare systems, systems that are connected and not disconnected. And elect leaders, uh, you know, appoint leaders in whatever yeah. process is appropriate who are committed to these positive changes which are mindful of the, the large-scale impact that we're having, the things that need to be fixed, and who are interested in building community and not separating people. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and you know who are, who are also capable. They have the skills and the experience, uh, and the motivation to take effective action, not just talk about it and tell us lies to make us look the other way. Very good. Uh, that's about it for the show. We'll just address a couple of these. Thanks for your um, your texts and uh, two things. First of all, you can get all of our podcasts from our website, futuresense.it. Uh, within a couple of days of the broadcast of, with uh, an edited version of this show. Uh, one, secondly, someone's asked me for an email address to myself. You can get me at uh, president at bayfm.org is the best one, Shane, president at bayfm.org. And Melody, one of our long-term listeners, says uh, or asks, perhaps if we can cause adverse future scenarios by imagining or projecting, then we can do so constructively if we understand the river's currents from love and not guilt. Yes. Uh, well, you know, it's it's a very, very interesting scenario when you stand back and look at it, that all of these things are happening. A lot of them don't seem to be related to, to facts and evidence, yet they're all effectively building that evolutionary tension, which is absolutely necessary to bring large-scale change. Yeah. Beautiful. Thanks, Steve. Uh, thanks, thanks, listeners. Nick. Yeah, thank you. We'll be back next Monday morning, 9 to 11, here on Bay FM. And stay tuned here on your community, one and only radio station, Bay FM 99.9. You've been listening to Future Sense, a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name, broadcast on Bay FM in Byron Bay, Australia, at bayfm.org. Future Sense is available on iTunes and SoundCloud. The future is here now. It's just not evenly distributed.